highest stripes We are healed By His nail-pierced hands We're free By His blood We're washed clean Now we have the victory The power of sin is broken the power of sin is broken, Jesus overcame it all. He has won the victory. He has won our freedom, Jesus has won it all. So I have the privilege of sharing the word this morning, giving Pastor Daniel a little break, early birthday present. <laughs> and uh, this morning we are going to continue uh, a series of messages on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pastor Daniel uh, 
just came to the conviction a, a few weeks ago that this season uh, should contain more than just one or two messages about the resurrection. At, e- at Christmas time, we have usually a whole series of messages leading up to the Christmas uh, celebration. And so at Easter, following the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, and every Sunday really is Resurrection Sunday, that's why we're gathered on this day of the week. But following the Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, whatever you would like to call it, celebration last week, we're going to continue in that vein, and at least for today and probably the next few weeks, as uh, Pastor Daniel feels led, we'll have messages focusing on the resurrection and scriptures that focus on that most important event. So today, um, I've selected as a text John chapter 20. If you would like to turn there, I'm going to read just about the whole chapter. Um, So if you'd like to turn to it, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, reading from the ESV. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been, or the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were running, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, 
the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from many, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Lord, bless your word to our hearts and our understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Back a number of years ago, Donna and I took a vacation to the Smoky Mountains, Tennessee, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge area. And as we drove into the area, we saw one of those tourist information places on the road where you can buy tickets for various attractions and get brochures and that sort of thing. And so we stopped and we went in, and there we saw an opportunity to get two free tickets to Dollywood, a place where we had thought we would like to go. So we said, hey, let's do it. What's involved? Well, we found out that all we needed to do to get these two free tickets was to attend a presentation. You know where this is going. It was for a timeshare. Now, I have heard folks who had gone to timeshare presentations that were kind of low-key, not too high pressure. They sat through them, got their free gift or their offer, whatever it was. That was not the case with this. We went in and spent probably two to two and a half hours under three different salespeople, each one progressively more aggressive and high pressure. No, 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 we don't want to. Well, by the time the third person came, the first guy was pretty low-key. But the third person, a young woman, was very aggressive and even rude. And after saying no a hundred times, I couldn't take it any longer. And so I guess I was a little rude myself and out of character. I said, what part of no do you not understand? Little rude, little out of character but it ended the discussion. We got our voucher and our free tickets and went to Dollywood a few days later. I thought of that incident as I began to prepare this message and 
read this, the scripture, not just the passage here in John chapter 20, but some of the other passages in Matthew and Mark in particular, which speak of Jesus repeatedly telling the disciples as they made their way to Jerusalem that when they got there, he was going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He was going to die and that he would rise again. So it may be, especially if you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, your first reaction as you kind of read through them toward the disciples when you read about their uncertainty and their cluelessness following the resurrection may be kind of a reaction like I had in that timeshare uh, situation. And, and you kind of want to say, John, Peter, Matthew, you guys, what part of I will rise again do you not understand? But in all fairness, that would be a little harsh. It would be a little harsh because they were distraught on that morning and the days before, after the crucifixion. They were confused. And if you read the 24th chapter of Luke, in the account of the two disciples that Jesus encountered on the road to Emmaus, you find that somehow, however it happened, his identity was kept from them. It may have been supernatural, probably was. So it's probably not that hard to understand why they were so confused and clueless. Here in chapter 20 of, of John's gospel, we have three of the disciples mentioned by name, Peter, John, and late in the chapter, Thomas, and the follower of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. We see how they reacted in the case of Peter, John, and Mary on that first day, that morning of the resurrection, and later that evening, and then with Thomas eight days later. We see in this passage how faith grows among the disciples, how they go from here to here with regard to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we're going to focus primarily on the first nine verses of this passage, or ten verses, but we'll touch on all of the chapter to some extent, at least at the end. I'm titling this message, The Three Saul's of the Resurrection, S-A-W, Saul, the past tense of C. The Three Saul's of the Resurrection, and you'll see as we get into this passage why I call it that. So let's look at our text. At the beginning, in verse 1, we find Mary Magdalene, the one from whom Jesus delivered seven demons. He delivered seven demons out of this woman. She was a devoted follower, follower and disciple of Jesus. She loved him deeply for what he had done for her and for who he was. We see in the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 19 of John's Gospel, that Mary was among those, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John, who stood by Jesus until the very end. They were there at the cross. They watched him take his last breath. Now she returns to the tomb. Early in the morning on the third day, while it's still dark, 
She sees that the tomb is empty, and immediately she takes off to tell Peter and John what she has discovered. But we see here that it's not with hopeful expectation or hopeful excitement that she goes and tells them, but rather with deep concern and distress. Her first thoughts are that they have taken away his body. Now, we can't really know for sure who they are in Mary's mind. It may be that she thought that there were those who were enemies of Jesus who for some reason came and took his body away, perhaps to desecrate it. Or it may mean she thought their friends had come to move it, thinking perhaps this wasn't the final burial place. We don't really know what was in her mind, who the they were. But one thing that we can be certain of is this, that she did not immediately think that a resurrection had taken place. There are three different Greek words used in this passage that are translated as Saul, the three Sauls of the resurrection. Mary Saul, it says in verse 1. This is the first word that is used, and this word here indicates the physical act of seeing more than anything else. The physical act of seeing, usually with little additional thought to what it is that you're seeing or interpreting what it is you're seeing. For example, let's say that you get up in the morning after arriving home very late the night before and having very little sleep. You look out your door after you get your coffee and your driveway is empty. You parked your car there the night before and now it's gone. So you begin to think someone has stolen my car. You think you're a, a victim of identity, of, uh, identity theft, of car theft. So you grab your phone and you call the police or you begin to call the police to report it missing and you haven't given any thought to any other possibilities because your eyes tell you or tell your mind the most likely scenario. But your sleep deprivation and your foggy-headedness has prevented your mind from considering any other possibilities. And in fact, before you dial that last number or press that last number on your phone to call the police, you remember that your husband told you the day before that he was taking the day off and he was going to get up early and take your car to get it serviced. Your mind didn't consider that because of your distress, because you were distraught, similar to what happened with Mary here. Mary's mind immediately thought Jesus' body had been taken away by someone. Now Mary, like the 12 and other followers of Jesus did have a point of reference for, res for resurrection. The point of reference was, historically, there were three resurrections recorded in the Old Testament by Elijah and Elisha, and during the ministry of Jesus, three resurrections that he had performed with Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jairus' daughter. And whether Mary was present for all of those, she certainly liked the, heard about them, and the, all of the disciples were likely present for all of those resurrections. But yet, the darkness of the previous two days 
their distress, her distress, and her despair ruled out the possibility of, re- of Jesus having risen from the dead. She didn't see it. She was looking just observing with physical eyes. As believers, do we see only darkness in the dire situations of our lives? Or there are times that we fail to see that those situations are in fact opportunities for God to work miraculously, that he is working miraculously behind the scenes? Do we allow our seeing with our physical eyes to blind us to the amazing work that God wants to do? Are we seeing, are we acting by sight and not by faith at times? I think we are. Do we fail to understand that, and this is a cliche, but one that is full of truth, that the deepest disappointments in our lives can be his appointments, that he's working even when we don't see it, and that the resurrected Christ is on the other side of those dire times and also in the midst of them, holding us in the palm of his hands, promising to walk through the fire with us, and promising ultimately to make all things new. Mary ran to the disciples to tell them that the mysterious they had taken the body of Jesus. She mistakenly attributed the work of God, namely the resurrection, to man's work. Do we do that sometimes? I think I've been guilty of it. When God shows himself faithful, do we remember that he's acted on our behalf? Or do we at times attribute that to the work or the ingenuity of men? When we're healed of sickness, do we always first give glory to God or just credit to the doctors who've been given by God the abilities to do that? God help us to see beyond what our eyes first see and what we first encounter, lest we miss the significance of what God is doing or what he has done. Back to our text. Mary tells Peter and John what she's found, and when they hear this, they take off running for the tomb. John outruns Peter and arrives first, and he looks into the tomb, from a bit of a distance. He doesn't go in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, verse 5 says, but he didn't go in. John saw, once again, this same word used in verse 5, this word used in verse 5 is the same word that's used in verse 1. He sees, he observes, but doesn't think much beyond that. Maybe it was reverent all that kept John from entering the tomb. Initially, John only observes what's in the tomb. But then enter Peter. Peter catches up with John, and rather than a quick glance into the tomb, 
he enters into it. And if you know about Peter from reading the Gospels, you don't find it surprising at all that once he kept caught up with John, that he probably went barreling past him into that tomb to see what he could see in his impetuousness and in his love for Jesus. We're told that Peter saw the linen cloths and the face cloth, which had been covering Jesus' face, but that's it. Now, Peter saw in a different way than Mary sees in verse 1 and John in verse 5. Here is the second word, the second saw of the resurrection. The words that's used here indicates a more thoughtful interpretation of what he saw. There's closer contemplation of the picture that before him. Peter knows that there's more here than meets the eye, but he can't seem to fully comprehend what it is. Still in his grief, in his fear, and in his guilt. He knew there was something more, but perhaps he couldn't bring himself to believe it. Why? Because just days before, he denied the Lord three times. In the hours before he was crucified, just as Jesus told him he would, he failed him. Peter was oppressed by his sin, and maybe it kept him from feeling the glorious hope that the picture before him portrayed. How could he face Jesus again after he had denied him three times? When we have sinned, it may be difficult to believe that forgiveness is available for us. Sometimes, even as believers, as an unbeliever, you may be prevented from coming to Jesus because of your sin. You think it's too great. But even as believers, when we fail, we think, how can I face the Lord again? We avoid praying. We avoid seeking as if we're able to go from his presence when we know that the Scripture is very clear that we can't run from his presence no matter where we go. And we fail to understand that forgiveness is indeed available that there is no sin too black that cannot be forgiven. King David wrote in Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Maybe you're one who's heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've read the Bible in part or even in whole, and you see that what it says is more than what you initially thought. There's a deeper contemplation but you haven't been able to move beyond that point 
Move beyond your guilt, move beyond your shame, move beyond whatever to reach out to Jesus. The entirety of the gospel is about God reaching out in Jesus to us to reconcile us to him. He's waiting on the other side if we're willing to look beyond our doubt and see with new eyes. Finally, we come to verse 8. After Peter enters the tomb, John follows. And rather than standing on the fringes where he was, he enters into it completely. And where at first he only saw the grave clothes from outside of the tomb, now the scripture tells us he saw the grave clothes and he saw the face cloth folded up in a place by itself. And now the narrative changes. It says he went in and he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Here's the third saw of the resurrection. This Greek word is different than the first two. Now he is taking a step further. John saw that not only was the tomb empty and that there was deeper significance to the fact, but he begins to understand it. He begins to grasp that Jesus is risen from the dead. He believes. To paraphrase, in part at least, uh, Scottish minister and commentator Alexander McLaren, one of my favorite commentators, he writes this regarding John's thoughts. This may be what was going through his mind. No hostile hands had been in the tomb, or there would not have been this deliberation meaning that the grave clothes would not have been lying somewhat neatly and the face cloth folded neatly. There would not have been this deliberation, nor would it have been friendly hands who did it, or there would not have been such dishonor to the sacred dead as to carry away the body nude. What did it mean? Could Jesus himself have done for himself what he had bade the disciples to do for Lazarus? Namely, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, as recorded in John's Gospel in the 11th chapter, Lazarus comes out of the tomb and Jesus orders the disciples or tells the disciples to remove the grave clothes from him. Could Jesus himself have done that for himself? Could Jesus have laid aside the garments of the grave as needing them no more? Perhaps John thought. They have taken away, Mary said. What if it were not they, but he, Jesus? No trace of hurry or struggle was there. He did not go out with haste nor go by flight, but calmly deliberately in the majesty of his lordship over death. He rose from his slumber and left order in the land of confusion. Now John saw differently, with eyes of faith. The word for saw here gives prominence to the discerning mind. He understood. Here, seeing is believing. 
Verse 9 explains that the disciples had not yet understood the Scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Whatever the reason, that now all begins to change. For all of us as Jesus followers, we have experienced a day when the light bulb went off in our lives. A day when we began to understand that there's more to life than only what we see or what we observe, more to life than our five senses can detect. We, each of us, came to a place where we saw with new eyes and understood that Jesus is who he said he was and that he died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and so we, too, can have new life. Jesus calls us to continually, as believers, see with new eyes, with understanding that he is still the risen Christ who has ascended to heaven and is interceding for us and at work in our lives. Mary remains at the tomb in her intense grief. She sees two angels through tear-filled eyes who speak to her. It's an amazing thing that she sees two angels and seems almost unmoved by them. She's in such grief over what she has perceived has happened. And they speak to her. And then through those same tear-filled eyes, she sees Jesus, but still his identity is hidden from her. She perceives that he may be the gardener and says, tell me where you've taken him so that I may go and take him away. And then he says to her, Mary. He speaks her name. He speaks her name, and she knows it's the Lord. He knows each of our names, as he did Mary's, and speaks and brings us peace. It's apparent that Mary clings to him physically as one she deeply loves, whom she doesn't want to lose again. But Jesus' words to her is this, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And it indicates that the relationship that she had with Jesus would no longer be the same. The relationship that he had with his disciples and all his followers would no longer be the same, and yet it would be much more satisfying than before because now, through his death and resurrection, he's brought into a relationship with the Father, all those who believe in him, and made them children of God and given them access to the Father by his grace. And finally, on the evening of the same day, to dispel any doubt and fear, Jesus appears to his disciples in his resurrected and glorified body. This resurrection was different from any that he had performed or any that Elijah or Elisha performed because Lazarus and all those who were raised from the dead were raised in the body that they had as they walked on the earth and they would die again. But Jesus' resurrection was different. He was in a new and glorified body that would never die again. And his promise to us is we will have that same kind of body one day. 
he appears to the disciples, gathered behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, and he says to them, peace be with you. Before he departed, before he was crucified, he said, my peace I give to you, to his disciples, not as the world gives. Now he comes to them and he says, peace be with you. Peace, don't be afraid anymore. You don't need to stand behind locked doors. Nothing that can befall you unless my Father allows it. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. We have peace with God, the Apostle Paul would write later, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So many dimensions of that peace that he speaks to them. But when he sees them and he commissions them and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, Thomas is not among them. And when he hears from the others that they've seen the Lord, he said, nope, I won't believe it. Unless I see the wounds in his hands and in his side, unless I touch them, I won't believe it. Eight days later, Jesus obliges Thomas, even in his unbelief. He appears to them again in that glorified, resurrected body, and he says, here I am, Thomas. See the wounds in my hands and my sides? You said you wanted to touch them. And you know what? There's no record of Thomas even doing that. He is so overwhelmed by the appearance of the resurrected Christ, he just falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I'd like to call the worship team up as we come to a close. The great faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, begins with these words. Now, faith is the evidence of things hoped for and being certain of what we do not see. The ESV puts it, this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But faith is not a blind leap, as some would have you believe. It's not a blind leap. The record of the resurrection put down for us by the writers of the gospel, and in fact, all of the scripture serves as evidence for the journey into faith. It's reliable evidence. There's more than one way to see, as we have seen from our text today. We here, and in the time since the ascension of Jesus, with perhaps rare exception, have not seen with our eyes the resurrected Lord. Yet for those of us who put our faith in him based on the reliable record of Scripture and his drawing by the Holy Spirit, we can see him. 
He is just as real and more so to us today as he was to the disciples on that resurrection day. I close with the final words of John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to see with new eyes, to see clearly, Father, that you are always at work in our behalf, that you have done so much on our behalf, that you are the risen and living Christ Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would enable us as we walk through this journey of faith to daily remember, to see not just with our eyes, to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, be glorified in our midst. Be glorified in our lives. We worship you, Lord. We, we trust and believe in your word. We give honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. to our feet. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Judge.
eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you believe today.